Hi everyone, it's Damon Klotz, host of the Culture First podcast. Before we get started with today's episode, I wanted to take a chance to say thank you to everyone who joined us at our Culture First Global events this year. Over 20,000 people from nearly every part of the world joined us at our three events. Now, if you weren't one of those people, then please do not worry. I have some great news for you. All of the sessions from the three events are now available for you to watch, re-watch, or share with others. Maybe you want to sit down and listen to the keynotes from people like Professor Ibram X. Kendi, Priya Parker, Adam Grant, or maybe Rachel Botsman. Or potentially, you want to learn from companies. We had people like Canva, McLaren, and the Major League Baseball all share how they put culture first. Head to cultureamp.com community where you can find the link to watch all of the sessions from the three events. All right, let's get started. For me, an employee experience is more than just even the employee and their experience, but it's this whole person experience within an organization. Culture first. 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 I'm Damon Klotz, and this is Culture First. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Culture First podcast. I'm your host, Damon Klotz. You are in for a treat with this episode. It's also likely that you might get a little bit hungry. So wherever you are right now, it might be a good time to grab a snack and settle in. In this episode, I'm joined by Lainey Taylor. Lainey has been a HR leader and coach at some of the most recognizable companies worldwide, including places like Country Road Group, General Electric, Telstra, and Adidas, or even Adidas, depending on where you're listening. But she spent the last four years as general manager of people for Carmen's Kitchen. And if you don't know what Carmen's is, well, it's a true Australian success story. Founded in 1992 by Carolyn Cresswell, the company has become a market leader in the breakfast and nutritional snacks category. And they've achieved this success by focusing on their people and culture. To put this into context, one Carmen's Kitchen product is consumed every second. Every second. That's mind-blowing, right? So I told you that you were in for a treat with this episode. See what I did there? Now, you won't just leave this episode potentially hungry, you're also going to be leaving very inspired. So I will do the big reveal right now. When I say they focus on people and culture, I mean it. Carmen's Kitchen achieved a 96% engagement rate on their last engagement survey, and they are not stopping there. Their goal is 100%, and you'll hear why that's so important to them later in this episode. Before we jump into my conversation with Lainey, I wanted to highlight some of the big takeaways that I want you to be listening out for. You're going to hear Lainey talk about why she believes in the whole person experience and not just the employee experience. You'll hear about the feedback loops that they've created that allows them to move fast and execute and how being intentional about that feedback has removed the need for a more formalized performance process. You'll also hear her talk about the right amount of transparency and communication with your employees and why one of their more recent well-being initiatives was picked up by the media. And I'll give you a hint, it's called a Duna Day, and I think we could all use one of those from time to time. 
All right, so let's get started and jump straight into my conversation with Lainey Taylor. All right, well, today I'm joined by Lainey Taylor, the GM of People and Culture from Carmen's Kitchen on the Culture First podcast. So Lainey, first, thank you so much for joining me today on the show. Yeah, so excited. Thank you for having me. So before we get into, I guess, your role and kind of, you know, um, your work, it'd be probably great to start off with you, the person. And I know you've uh, spoken at our Culture First events before and you're kind of familiar with our belonging badges and some of these intro questions. So um, can you share maybe like one of the belonging badges that you shared with our audience that day and why it means so much to you? Lord, I can't remember what my belonging badges were. I'm sure there would have been something in there around probably extroversion and um, and I, I remember we talked about one on the day but I can't remember what it was and but one would have been avid cook so just mm-hmm. a massive foodie cook raw ingredients um, obsessed um, with cooking and, and food and it's a, a big part of my life and my family's life. I think you also shared that you're a gamer and that maybe a lot of your friends don't know that about no. you. No. Yes, sci-fi, fantasy, freak and gamer. Um, And I'm so fortunate to have a 14-year-old son who I can um, do this with. And so we have the big setup. We've got gaming chairs. uh, We have our big screens and um, we have very fancy keyboards. And um, I just love it. I've always loved it and I've gamed from a very young age. And I've even got quite a collection of the old 80s held how uh, Nintendo's the little Nintendo things which oh, I wow. love <laughs> yes I certainly uh I feel like there's a treasure trove of things potentially at a family home somewhere or maybe it's all gone but I certainly had a lot of that growing up as well so yeah uh, you, you and I would both wear those badges with pride and <laughs> so the next question is one of my favorite questions to ask because really you can ask it to anyone uh, as many times as you want and you might get a different answer so if I really knew you today, what would I know? If you really knew me today, what would I know? Um, probably that I'm a very um, giving person. So I tend to give a lot to my role, my family, my friends, people around me. But I'm also very driven and, you know, I like to be a human that gives. You know, there's people you come across in your life that are givers and and they help you be better humans and I've had people in like that in my life and you don't necessarily ask for things from people so it's nice to be a person that can just genuinely give and not ask for anything in return and um, I think that would be something that people would say close to me I hope that, that that's the person I am. Adam Grant spoke at our Culture First uh, event in EMEA this year and he actually wrote a book called Give and Take. I'm not sure if you've read it. I haven't read Give and Take, but I am familiar with his, um, you're a, a giver, taker or in between, yeah. Yeah. No, it's such a fascinating concept. And I think the world right now needs plenty of givers. So um, I, I ho- hope that doesn't change. And I guess the final question to kind of uh, get to know you as we kind of transition more into your work. So I know you mentioned, uh, I know that you have a daughter. You also mentioned that you have a 14-year-old son. But let's say that a curious 10-year-old walks up to you and says, excuse me, what do you do for work? How do you answer? <laughs> you know, it's such a tricky one, HR, isn't it? Um, <laughs> and I'm not going to say I help people because that is not what we do. 
But I'd probably say uh, um, I like to make your the people in your life, the adults in your life, their workplaces awesome. That's probably what I'd say to a 10-year-old. And I'm sure they would probably reply, well, I hope my uh, my parent or parents get to work at a place like that. Yeah, so, that's right. So now let's transition into Carmen's Kitchen, your current workplace. Um, some people might be familiar with it. Others might not be. So can you just sort of say, like, if you were to read the boilerplate or, like, maybe how it's described on a box of, um, you know, muesli, what is Carmen's Kitchen? So Carmen's Kitchen is, you know, our our vision is really to bring delight every day to everybody. And but essentially we are a nutritional snacks and muesli breakfast business. And we play in two major categories, which is breakfast, and we de- develop and deliver products around breakfast and also nutritional snacks. So that could be muesli bars, it could be got some new crackers out that are um, amazing and so all those snacking occasions that that people might be familiar with throughout their day well you're making me hungry and anyone listening <laughs> is probably going to be uh grabbing for a snack <laughs> themselves right now so when it comes to these uh snacks and, and these things that you have how many products do you currently have and, and how many markets are these products found in yeah so we um we're all over um the world so i think we're up to 36 countries and I've heard this amazing fact about how many products you sell on any given minute, just to kind of maybe give the audience a... Yes. Uh, so remind me what I said at the Coltram conference because I, I think I can even better it today. Was that it one? was something astronomical that made me kind of go like, wow, like literally like there is just people everywhere eating Carmen's Kitchen right now. I think, you know, literally one every second. Wow. Yeah. That is... That is amazing. So no matter where you're listening from, this is a, you know, what started off as a small Australian company that is now having this huge global impact, um, which is just amazing. And obviously, I know it's something that you're proud of and I'm also proud of as a fellow Australian to be having this conversation. But we're not here today just to talk about your product lines and to make everyone hungry and to have, you know, people having breakfast for dinner, depending on what time they're listening to, um, although that is always a great idea. Um, but we are here yeah. to talk about Many things, including employee experience and the culture that you've um, you know been building at Carmen's Kitchen, and I should say it's an award-winning culture. But before we kind of get into, I guess maybe that, I think it's important always to sort of set a foundation for a conversation, and maybe start at a higher level and get your take as a people and culture leader, because obviously you've worked at many amazing brands, not just Carmen's Kitchen, but. When I say the term employee experience, you know it gets used a lot and can mean a lot of different things to different people. So, what does it mean to you first personally? Yeah, for me personally, uh, as I've sort of transitioned through my career of 25 years and I think about all the different employee experiences I've had, you know, for me, an employee experience is more than just even the employee and their experience, but it's this whole person experience within an organisation. So how can we give a person the tools to be their best self at work, but also outside of work as a ambassador for our business and also how can we even extend the employee experience to their family and um, support them to be um, better people as well so for me you know being happy at work being supported at work 
is really the essence of our employee experience and, and I would hope lots of organisations um, to get the best out of our people. But also then we just, you know, we know that that just translates and flows through how the whole business rolls. Um, and I think that's really super important. What I love about how you think about employee experience is that like you sort of talk about it in this way where you can see the multiplier effect about when it's done well, what impact can it have? So it like, yes, it starts out an individual, but then that individual is part of a company, but also that individual has a family and that person has a community. And then your company also has a community and like kind of when you get that right, it just impacts so many more people as opposed to just saying, what is this one person's experience? It's like, actually, no, like what is this person's experience in connection to everything else that, that they experience? So yeah. I love that you think about 100%. it hundred percent. I mean, I mean, there's no point making someone great, you know, from nine to five and yeah. not outside of that. Um, we There's no way we could get a, the best person and the best out of them if we were only supporting that and thinking about that and, you know, um, bookending that experience. That's not going to give us the best person. So I wanted to kind of switch gears and talk about, um, I guess, employee engagement as a concept, but in particular, the four initiatives that you use to drive employee engagement, because I think it is actually a nice connection to how you think about employee experience. And I'll kind of frame it in this way, like Mm. goals and clarity are critical to a successful organization. It doesn't matter if you have 100,000 people or 100 people. I think we all want to know what are we working towards and if we're successful and I know that you have four initiatives that you ask everyone to focus on to drive employee engagement. So maybe let's just start at the top. What yep. are those four initiatives that you focus on? Yeah. So the first initiative is around, you know, aligning strategic focus. So the, everyone in the business really understanding what their role and purpose is every year within the strategic priorities and that whole strategic vision. So although we have a longer term vision where very careful about how we manage into the business their uh, place in that strategic priorities for the year. The second one is well-being and and that's simply mentally and physically the whole person and and as you say the people around them and their communities and how we can support them to be very healthy individuals. The third one is how we integrate feedback loops into ways of working at Carmen's um, at every intersection and every interaction that we can. And the fourth one is our obviously onboarding um, process, which is a a 12-month rigorous onboarding process to get people up to speed and and delivering the best they can in, uh, in, in Carmen's. So we are going to focus a little bit on, you know, on some of those so that people can learn more, but I guess when you have to choose four, that also might've mean that, you know, there was some that you didn't include. And uh, obviously you want to be really intentional with that because you want to increase clarity for your team. So how did you choose those four? And was there ones that are important to you that you had to say, you know what, like, I'm sorry, that just doesn't make the top four. Yeah. So for us, strategy is super important. I, I think that Carmen's is very good at it. And, um, and I can say that having been, you know, in some of the biggest organisations in the world, uh, but Carmen's really does a really great job of prioritising what's important and making that clear for individuals. And it all starts with that. It all starts with uh, the priorities of the business, because for, for me, um, 
and the business, if you don't know what is a priority in the business, and, and, and I'm not talking about just what you're doing, but our big priorities of how we're going to grow and how we're going to keep our market share and grow our market share, um, then people don't understand purpose. They don't know how to, to prioritise because they don't understand what you know, to prioritise or what comes first. And it makes it very hard for them to make the right decisions. So if we just think of ways of working and and how we get the best out of our people, if they know what to focus on, then they're able to do those three things a lot quicker. And then that means we can be more agile and work through. Wellbeing's a no-brainer. And I know lots of people talk about it and do it, but we do put an enormous amount of effort into supporting our people. And I always say mentally and physically, and I know there's a big focus on mental and there's, there's a lot of support there, but also physically supporting people to be fit and healthy in how they eat and how can we provide you, you know, beautiful food at work and how can we provide you time to exercise and that's really important for us. And, and we know then that, um, you know, we're, we're going to have... Um, clear-minded people that feel good about themselves when when they feel healthy and happy. Um, feedback loops again. It's 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 the nature of our business. It's the agility. We are um, we are an Australian organisation. So proud of that. But we are we are a little little business, and our competitors are massive. They're really big, and I feel in, in, incredibly proud that we can compete against big global businesses um, with our little team. and But for, for that to happen and us to stay ahead of businesses that are much larger than us and have a big resources that we just don't have, we need to move fast. And the only way we can move fast is with our feedback loops and really driving a feedback culture in every single interaction um, and ways of working. So that's super important and easy to choose. And onboarding for us uh, really came about by, again, where at the moment 55 people, um, it's really important that we get the most out of everybody. And to be able to do that, they need to understand our business inside and out and we need to understand them. And so to be able to onboard and actually care for someone very closely for a 12 month period was really easy to kind of align those four. Things that fall away, look, we probably don't have a lot of process here and, and, and I like that. So, you know, we don't talk about performance management. Um, that's not something we talk about. There's lots of processes here that we just don't have. And in fact, I was recruiting a role in my team recently and I, I quickly realised that, you know, I was recruiting a people and culture person, but really all the work we do is organisational development and it's fun stuff. Every there's, And people would ask me questions like, what about performance management? Well, I don't really do that here. Like, we don't have to do that because we're so proactive in how we manage people um, and yeah. the conversations we have with them. So um, it, it's really easy to prioritise those things um, for, for our business. And then lots of sort of the more... I'm not going to say stale things fall away, but <laughs> the things that you might see in other organisations, we just uh, don't we don't need here. What I heard that I think um, really stands out to me is that there is just deep intention 
about 100%. how you operate at Carmen's Kitchen. And I think that probably saves you from having to not have a, like a, a list of 40 things that are priorities. Because if you'd nail those four things, if you get them really right, if you're really clear about those, like employees, like if everyone knows what the goals are, how it rolls up, what success looks like, then of course your performance management process is going to be really easy because everyone knows what, what they're shooting for. I think um, sometimes in the people and culture space, we end up having to create a huge amount of policy or things around stuff because there's not clarity at the start about what success might actually look like. Yeah. And we do have a lot of people join and sort of look for all these policies and procedures. And, you know, often I think, mm, God, should I have more of those? But um, I think you're very right. You've hit the nail on the head around intent. We talk about intent a lot. If our intention in every interaction comes from a good place, because if it doesn't come from a good place, then it's it's um, it's just gossip and it's just yucky. And uh, so you can always approach everything with the right intent. Then a lot of the other those HR processes don't need to exist. You mentioned onboarding and I don't want to um, spend too much time on this only because we've already had a session about your onboarding program that I will um, include a link in the description uh, for everyone to go have a listen to. But if I was to sum it up, I think one of the things that makes your onboarding program so special and let me know whether I got it right or wrong is that it's very like intentionally starts before the person joins Uh, that development starts at the start. So you know, they get development plans and you understand how they learn and what's important to them. Uh, it's a 365-day program. There is a bunch of milestones along the way. There's a six-month celebration about probation. There's also a conversation that can happen about whether probation uh, wasn't, you know, whether that person needs more development or, like, clarity around their role. Uh, and every single employee goes through it and it's not cohort-based. No. It's, yeah, that's exactly right. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to sugarcoat it for everyone. It's, it can be a hard process for some people that are new coming in. And, um, but it is genuine. It, it is genuinely there to support the person. And, and we don't let people go, um, you know, at the six-month mark, if, if we're unsure, if we're right for each other, we keep those people and we keep working with them to, to make sure that we're, that we're not making a decision too early. Um, I think the transparency of our onboarding program really helps us, again, have very authentic relationships with our employees. And if people do leave and people have left, so that's the not sugarcoating, it's with really, um, with a lot of care and love for that person. And if we can help them find their next job, while um, we know that they're leaving in a month or if they want to do some work with us for a month and and then leave while they're getting their resume sorted, if I can help them with that, if I can introduce them to people, we do and we support all that. And we actually we actually have someone leaving um, this week who at the seven-month mark has has decided that, that this isn't the role that um, she wants to be in. And that's awesome. That's great. And, and, and we part ways um, and we wish um, them the best of luck. Yeah, there's so much to learn here, uh, I think, for people and culture leaders about just like how to do some of these things with this concept of humanity at work at the forefront. And um, I remember maybe five years ago, I was at an event in San Francisco and I heard uh, Dawn Sharifan, um, the head of people at Slack, talk about like when you're, um, and obviously, you know, you're hiring people, but you're, you know, you're at a smaller stage. And like, I think one of the things that people 
get into this um, trap of is if they're in a growth phase and they're adding lots of people, they spend so much time thinking about how to get people in the business and they spend no time about how to get people out of the business. And she shared that, um, that they like to, uh, her concept was like burying the dead with the same amount of respect as like when they entered the company. And exactly. that like you need to be as mindful of, about that because we kind of have this huge parade during onboarding. Like, look at this person. They're going to save the day. Isn't it amazing? <laughs> and then like someone leaves, you're like, where did that person go? They're like, no one knows. Yeah, that's right. And and that's just, you know, how awful and um, uncomfortable for everybody to be going through that process. Um, and yeah, it's tricky and it's hard, but I think, you know, um, we don't always get it right. And, um, and then people don't always pick right. And this is a very different type of business. And I'm sure everyone has had experiences where you, th- you think that you want something and you think you don't need policy and process and you think you can work in agile, but then you go, oh, actually, I like working for bigger business and I like all the processes. And, and, right. and that happens sometimes. And, and that's cool. So you mentioned well-being and I want to kind of double click on that just because I feel like mental health and burnout are some of the most important topics that are being discussed at all levels of the organization, but especially in the C-suite right now, and you've won numerous awards for your well-being program and you've, you've touched on, on some, of, some of it, but um, maybe just to kind of uh, shine a light on it, what does your sort of program consist of? Yeah, um, so everything, <laughs> everything, <laughs> everything that's available to us. We talk about well-being a lot, and um, I feel like well-being is something that it's. Um, this might resonate with people um, that work in businesses that have sort of a safety culture. It's like safety first, safety, 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 safety. You know, it's just it's drummed into you. And with well-being, I feel it's the same. You need to talk about it. I, I kind of refer it like. Um, to a Dory moment out of Finding Nemo. And, you know, Dory keeps forgetting. She hears the message, is very excited, and then she forgets. Um, I feel like well-being's a, a Dory moment. You, you need to keep it live in the conversation, in um, your feedback loops, in the, when you're talking to people, uh, so it stays alive for that person to access whatever they need and what well-being means to them. So we offer, obviously, a whole heap of physical um initiatives for people so we've got our gym we've got our yoga we've got our meditation we've got our um, our chef who cooks and provides meals and um, you can get meals on site when you when you're in the office and obviously that's tricky at the moment Um, but we also we're delivering meals out to people at the moment um, as well through our through our chef so um, accessing good food and and um, and even information around um, how to what is good food and and things like that. We also have lunch and learn. So we have usually a lunch and learn every week and that could be about any topic, but it's usually around wellbeing um, and and it could be about mental. We've just done a whole series around sleep and thrive, how your brain works um, to make you more effective, um, how to get an exercise mindset. So we're constantly providing people with the opportunity to keep learning about well-being and and then we have the traditional things we do have EAP um, that we provide all our employees but we also uh, provide it for their families and a lot of these things we also provide to families um, along the way then we have lots of flexible work arrangements for people to be able to pull down down on we have Duna Day which you know it's been controversial lately I've um, done a few radio interviews on are they good are they not 
100% good, you know, how you access them. They're, they're there to grab um, at the last minute and you just call it, need to do in a day, be open um, and, you know, provide transparency in the business and don't pretend, don't ring up and go, <laughs> I feel sick. Just tell us you, you, you need to stay in bed and watch some Netflix for the day. Um, we also have Flexit where you can pull down, leave it um, 12 o'clock, um, once a quarter and do your appointments. So maybe you need to go to the dentist or the doctor or you want to do something with kids or you want to have start a long uh, weekend early. Um, but anyway, you want to access your leave. We're very open to that and using that personal leave, not just for sickness um, and carer's leave. So that's really important to us as well. Um, and what else? I can't think off the top of my head. There's so many things. we At the moment, we're doing tools down at 2 p.m., um, we people are exhausted. It's really, uh, you know, this is unprecedented trying to keep people mentally and physically safe at the moment in this pandemic. Um, and so we, we every week we're just try, trying to find ways that we can keep people up. And so at the moment it's tools down um, at 2 p.m. and just shut off and don't book meetings and don't call people. Um, we do get back together at 5.30 for some drinks though. And um, this Friday we're doing Pimp Your Pasta and Pimp Your Table. Mm. So um, we're sending out um, packs, uh, pasta packs, and then people will add in their ingredients and they'll also set their kids or their family will have a table competition for the best set table. And then we upload videos and photos to a WhatsApp and um, have some fun there. Well, if people weren't hungry at the start of this episode, I think the <laughs> idea of uh, Pimp Your Pasta is, is definitely going to get them, uh, get those uh, stomachs rumbling. One thing that I want to just check on, because I'm in this interesting place where while I, I sound very Australian, I understand that still, I have spent the last six years in the Northern Hemisphere and also some time in Europe. Is doona a universal term? Do we need to explain what that is? Yeah, I know duvet yeah. gets used a lot. Duvet, yeah. So doona, doonas in Australia are like duvets. They are um, nice, big, fluffy blankets on your bed. Um, and it is, I do feel that they use doona days um, overseas. And I, okay. I think I think UK might call them duvet days. Um, but no, I think, I think it's universal. I'm going to say it is. Someone will tell us if it's not. <laughs> And you touched on having to do some media interviews recently about people maybe pushing back on that. Um, maybe, like, I'd like to ask a question about the question. Like, why do you think there is still pushback against this idea of supporting your employees and letting them say, like, I can't do the job today? Like, what? why do you think that pushback exists? Yeah, there was some um, off the back of the um, Colt Tramp conference, the Duna Day started a controversial web and um, I got um, a little bit of pushback around um, not sort of getting to the root cause of maybe why someone might want to do in a day. Uh, mm -hmm. And in my mind and, and where I stand on it is, and I think it comes from a place where, you know, people um, might need more support or they might actually have a mental health issue that you're not addressing and you're just sort of sugarcoating it with a doona day. But in my mind, any type of initiative that allows people to safely step away from work um, that is open and honest is, in my mind, a positive thing. So mm -hmm. Duna Days by themselves, sure, that's not solving any um, mental health support, but Duna Days in line with a whole heap of other initiatives for people. And personally, it's it's 
the whole intent is we all get tired. We all have bad days at work. Um, some, sometimes things go wrong at work and we just need to fill our own cup and we need a break. And, and that's what Doona Days are for. And certainly if people have deeper issues, then we hope that we've got other initiatives in our business that they can access and support. And we obviously always check with someone when they're asking for a do are you okay do you need anything else um but i think there's you know providing whether you call it a doona day whatever you call it providing initiatives for people to pull down on their personal leave that isn't just sick is that's that's the 100 what you want you want them to yeah. be able to access their 10 days or however many days in other countries in a way that isn't just about being sick because mm-hmm. physically sick is not supporting mental health um, and well-being. It should be well-being leave. I've just made that up then and you know what? I might just go change our policy right now. <laughs> um, but, you know, sick leave, calling it those types of things is not helpful for people. The other thing that I think is really important here and um, people who have listened to many episodes of this show would hear me talk about this all the time, but like I'm this hybrid people and culture leader on one side, marketer on the other. And I always think about like um, the marketing of your initiatives also matters. Like it's not just about whether it's a great initiative. It doesn't matter whether like everything's there. Like it's like, all right, this is the perfect policy, the perfect strategy. If no one remembers it, if no one knows that they can call upon it. So if you need to call it something so that like that terminology becomes a, yeah. a symbol inside of your organization that someone's like, oh, they took a doing a day. That makes it okay for me. That makes it okay for someone else. So I think that's really important as well. So when you're, and you know, we, we might've just um, witnessed a rebrand live on the podcast yes, about I think an initiative so. <laughs> here because words 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 matter yeah I, i'm totally noting that one down and, and i'm going to go back and have a think about that and um see how i can make that more meaningful for people and i think being able to access all your sick leave is really important um for people yeah. um in this in this you know where work just doesn't stop and especially in the pandemic is just you know um, we, we don't know how to start and stop our days and things like that. So. so one thing that I'm very conscious of through all of our conversations, our talk of culture first this year, as well as this one is that we could do a whole episode just about one of these little themes that I've written mm-hmm. about. So um, I'm conscious that we could spend a, a whole session on this next one, which is you mentioned feedback just being so critical to how you operate and that it's a part of your culture. It's a part of your priorities mm-hmm. And I guess the main question that people usually want to know from culture and customers is like, what type of employee experience data are you collecting? And I just said data to an Australian, so I apologize. What, what type okay. of data are you collecting <laughs> and how often are you collecting? Yeah. So um, we have a lot of feedback loops in our business. So um, we have quite um, a strong operating rhythm. So firstly, every day we get on a huddle at um, 9.30 and so that's our first feedback loop and it's just uh, sharing the big things for the day anyone needs to know but also any feedback of anything that's going on and it's not just about the business but with our with our customers our consumers and um, things like that and then uh, we obviously have whips and and sprints in our teams and within that there is also opportunity for feedback um, and then obviously we have the very traditional ways. So we do pulse checks, um, we do health checks, and we do our surveys 
um, throughout the year uh, into the business to make sure that we're hearing everyone's voice. We also do the same process with our suppliers um, so that we know that uh, the way that we're showing up with all our external uh, partnerships is the same as our internal way of showing up. I think the thing about feedback um, that, that's the most important is actually providing people with the skills and tools to know how to give feedback. No one wakes up in the morning and, and says, I can't wait to get to work to tell Damon something that didn't go well yesterday. Cannot wait. It's just, yay, running out the door. You know, that's not... It's hard. Um, it's easy to give praise and, and give good feedback, but when you need to do something constructive or, um, you, you know, you want a better a process or an interaction, then it's actually not very natural to be able to do that. So that's where we do talk intent a lot. And if you can get your intent right around giving feedback, then, um, you know, it's always safe and should be received well. And so the, the, the front ending of people understanding and practicing and knowing how to give feedback is really important. So we have a model that, that we use here um, and, and that's worked really, really well. And also I think the other important thing is, um, is just the mediums of how people feel um, uh, most comfortable to give feedback. So some people are good at face-to-face, -face, some people prefer to do it through the surveys um, or, or more traditionally, and, and that's okay as well, as long as you've got a lot of different mediums that that people can subscribe to to give the feedback. And then I guess the second question that people usually ask is, it's around result sharing. So like, you know, how do you share results? At what level do you go full transparency? Does everyone in the company get access to like engagement results or does yeah. it just managers? How do you think oh, about rolling that out? 100%, 100% um, full um, transparency. We're really open. Um, there is nothing wrong with sharing when we get bad feedback um, because then we can fix it. And I'm often... Um, shouting from the rafters, you know, I can't fix or change something I don't know about. And, you know, that's on you. You need to be able to share the feedback so that we can fix it. It's a safe place to share feedback. It's not about um, what people did wrong, but if we don't learn from it and we don't do something different the next time, that, uh, that really, if you want to hit a sore spot, that's one of them for me. Um, mm -hmm. I do get frustrated if I feel that people are scared to give feedback sometimes when there's no repercussions. We just we just don't want to do it again. We don't want to make the same mistake. Um, and so bringing that in, you know, with new people and, and making sure they feel comfortable, that's really important. And role modelling it, so other people role modelling it. And often, you know, I'll help people scribe and put it together because it's it's hard to get the intent and the flow of how you want to give feedback. Um, and it's okay if it's clunky. So we talk about it's okay if it's clunky and you want to say to someone, I'm practicing giving feedback to you. I've got some notes in front of me, bear with me, you know. Mm -hmm. So if you set it up that way, um, we did, when we were really driving our feedback culture, we actually had a theme each quarter. So, um, you know, it was one, one quarter was get your courageous on. So if you've got something difficult to say, you know, let's do that. We also then would recognize that in huddle and someone would say, I got some feedback yesterday from someone. I really appreciated it. Thank you. We don't have to talk about what it was, but 
um, just saying thanks for the feedback. Get your positive on. That was that was one quarter. That was obviously very easy. Um, get your development on. So you know, is there development conversations and feedback that you want to have with people? So sort of theming and and being able to pull it through that way is good, a good way to do it if people are thinking about um, really driving that feedback culture um, and practicing. So. You know, we'll get on. Um, I'm actually about to roll out some more sprints because we've got new people sprint uh, training where we, we get on a Zoom, we go through our process, but then I'll break them into rooms and they have to practice giving feedback to each other, um, a real live example. Um, and then plan whatever feedback they're going to give that week and go out into the business and do it. So. I think frameworks are so important for people to be able to kind of just get build that muscle. Like I, I truly believe like giving and receiving great feedback is a muscle. It's something that you have to do 100%. often and work on and stuff. So like whether it's having themes for certain quarters or whether it's giving people like examples, like I know um, when I had to kind of uh, give feedback that probably maybe earlier on in my career, I never would have felt comfortable with. The only reason I felt comfortable giving it was I had a really clear framework for how to have a conversation about that and i'm like hey like here's what it is here like it's called like a clearing conversation we're going to clear up the murkiness we're going to get the blur words out of the way we're going to make sure that we're talking about the same thing and then i'll be able to like provide that feedback now i probably wouldn't have had that conversation if i didn't have a great framework for giving that feedback and every time i do it i feel more comfortable wanting to do that again so i truly believe that creating that muscle inside of of a company is critical yeah, hundred percent. And it is. It is. A, it's as I said. It's not natural. It's it's hard to do. Um, you know, you can get online. There's heaps of different models, and all of them work. Um, but I do think pivoting around the intent's really important. Um, often when I'm coaching people, um, you know, what's the intent? Well, they I need to let them know they annoyed me yesterday. Mm, okay, let's try again. <laughs> what's the intent? The mm. intent, you know next time we have an interaction i want them to listen more you know it's really getting to that what are you actually wanting to change or shift in the behavior of the interaction yeah. or the process um and and um it's it's really easy to do the other thing i would say about feedback for managers or more senior people is that you have to ask for feedback you can't expect you know just by the very nature of your position you're scary as soon it doesn't matter how nice you are um there's um there's a hierarchy and it exists and hence you're scary and it's just that's just the way it is so being open and and always asking for feedback from people or putting feedback loops in the end of your meeting like how did that meeting feel did everyone feel listened to um and asking is really really important we're going to do it live right now well not live whenever you're listening to this but we're going to make uh if you're a manager who's listening to this right now and you haven't asked for feedback from one of your team members in the past month, please go do it. Reach yes. out. Like you said, like be proactive, have that conversation. Whether there is, there could be huge amounts of psychological safety in your team and there could be very little. Doesn't mean that you shouldn't be proactively asking your employees for feedback, especially um, right now when we're all kind of operating in these strange times. I think just getting really clear about what your employees need. So um, yes, do that conversation this week, whenever you listen, set yourself a task and whatever task management process you use because I think it's critical and um, I'd be I'd, I'd love to hear the, hear the hear the results reach out to me and let me know how those conversations went um, I want to I want to change gears again and talk about retaining your employees because I think one of the things that we've sort of heard a lot about when it comes to the employee experience right now is that either due to burnout or due to just um, employees wanting just a completely different experience maybe they've been rethinking 
their priorities or the industry they want to work in. We've heard this term called the Great Resignation. Uh, fun fact, the professor in the United States who actually coined the Great Resignation has the same last name as me. We're not related. We just clearly think about people and culture stuff a lot. But the Great Resignation is being talked about. Everyone's kind of talking about retention. You've already spoken a lot about being very intentional when it comes to like when employees leave and that, that it's not a bad thing. So I guess my question is, have you been impacted by this great resignation? Have you seen sort of like, has this impacted Carmen's Kitchen? Or is it kind of just like, no, like we're still having the same conversation that we will have regardless? <laughs> yeah, retention. So we never think about retention, to be honest. Um, you know, I've been in big talent roles before. We spend all this time on talent pooling, retention and critical roles and blah, 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 blah. Um, really we are super happy for people if they um, want to leave and, and do something new. Um, we've had a couple of people leave recently who've been here seven years and that's awesome. You know, we're all about, we want to build you here. We want to develop you here. We want you to contribute to our brand. We always, for the rest of your life, want you to be part of our Carmen's crew, our Carmen's family. And if you are transitioning through us um, because you're early on in your career and you need to go build up muscle somewhere else. Um, that's 100% fine with us. Um, and if you want to stay a long time, that's also 100% fine with us. Um, but we're also we're really open and honest to have conversations. And I've had conversations with people and I can think of someone that's left this year that, that I proactively approached them and said, you don't you want to do something else? <laughs> and that was someone that was young in their career and they were very, people can get very attached to a brand and, and we are right. an amazing place to work, but we can't provide these big complex um, career opportunities for people um, with a business of our size. So when I see people that are a bit stuck and really should be building their career and being a coach myself, seeing someone with great potential that that we can't fulfill because we just don't have that type of work here you know I'm fully encouraged them you know to to go and so I helped that person actually move and, and move into um, another another FMCG and that's awesome and I'm all up for that um, we don't have a retention issue um, and we would be okay if we had a retention issue. I shouldn't say that. Like, you know, if half our business walked out tomorrow, we'd be, we'd be <laughs> yeah. a little trouble. But you might not be selling a product every second. In, in yeah, that that's right. Um, I think our attrition is very natural, very normal. Um, it's not something that we focus on. And um, we have had, yeah, we had someone who, who travelled a lot, um, who through the pandemic has realised that they don't want to do that anymore. You know, they were travelling from sort of country Victoria into Melbourne um, and people are making those personal decisions for themselves. But at the same time, we've also offered lots of people different flexibility for different, you know, things they might be going through. So if people want to drop a day, um, we've had people actually pick up days. Um, if people want to work a different way to be able to get that balance in their life, we've focused on those things. So it's kind of like come to us with what's bothering you. If it's just mm -hmm. not, if it's, if it's outside of the work, maybe we can come up with a solution. If it's, if, if it's about the work, then, you know, that gets tricky because the jobs are the jobs and, um, you know, yeah. we try and develop people across the business as best we can. Um, but if it's about other drivers and motivators, maybe we can, we can work it out together. 
if um, I think we should send that uh, send this episode to the person that you helped find that new role. It's just like uh, it's such an inspiring story to actually have a manager or a leader care so deeply about you that you're like, hey, like I will help you go get something like great, and like let's talk about that and like being honest about the current situation. Um, I, I, it's rare. I, I wish it wasn't rare, and uh, I know I've had some incredible leaders throughout my career, especially early on in my career. And you know, I, I've been a culture amp for you know a long time in, in startup years, but I know early on in my career, like I had to make some of those big changes and pivots, and you know, switch from like a government industry into private, and like private into a startup. And like managers helped me have those conversations, even though they were like, "We would love you to stay. We understand why this is important to you." And like, I will help you do that. And I just think that's such a refreshing conversation to be having with your manager. So I really hope that that employee that you helped will do that for someone else and that we can create like a bit of a ripple effect because I just think it's such a, a beautiful thing. Yeah. And I think having those, and it doesn't always work the way that I would love it to work, um, but a lot of the time it has. I think, you know, I'm really big on, you know, if someone came to me and said, look, I reckon I've got a year left in me and then I'm thinking about this, that is utopia for me. It's like, awesome. That's great. Let, and let me give you some free coaching as well. I reckon you need to, I reckon you need a bit of experience here. I reckon you need to bolster this. And also I think you need to make sure when you're looking for your next business, you've got this, this, and this. And, you know, if everyone did that, then we would have this beautiful shared resource pool of talent that would just, you know, rock through um, the business um, from business to business and we would develop people much quicker. Uh, and I think the other thing is we're really open here and, and Carolyn Creswell, our founder, is amazing. You know, I, I sit in this role and I feel very privileged to do that, but I also have a coaching business and and she's fine with that. You know, there's very open about how we can satisfy people's um drives and, and their motivations to be able to do the things they want to do um, and we do that with all people here and I wish more businesses did do it um, there's we can't keep good talent forever um, we do feel like we do have lots of good talent here <laughs> and we certainly have lots of people trying to poach them all the time <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, you know people make the right decisions for themselves and and everyone's driven and motivated by different things at different times in their lives and and that's okay so we just touched on i guess managers and why they're so important i guess maybe one thing that the audience would like uh be asking themselves to ask me to ask you because that's how this works they send (laughs) me these questions they land in my head um what does manager development look like at Carmen's Kitchen? Like managers have such an important role and I there's the age-old debate, do people leave companies, do they leave managers? I think great managers can make that debate, you know, um, irrelevant because, uh, yeah, anyways, that, uh, that's a story for another day. But 100%. What is it? <laughs> leader-led, like? yeah, like I'm. it's all about the leader, leader-led, you know. I, I can be here to, to help coach everyone in the business but for the most part, I spend my time coaching our managers um, because everyone wants to have a direct conversation with their manager. No one wants to, you know, be talking to their HR person. Sorry, HR people. Uh, So the biggest focus should always be on uh, a leader-led culture and the leaders being really strong at at what they do. Um, We kind of... You know, to kind of be, be honest and say in the last 12 months, we haven't done a lot because we've been so focused on well-being and keeping people safe mentally yeah. and physically. Um, but we do have a big coaching culture. So um, 
I do a lot of coaching into the business. And I think as a senior leader, um, another free advice from me is go do a coaching um, qualification. You know, I have a double coaching qualification, um, even try and get a globally recognized um, coaching qualification. Knowing how to coach in a business is so important um, beyond anything else. Being able to coach your CEO, being able to coach a leadership team, being able to coach anyone around you. Um, So big coaching culture here. And um, the other thing we are big on is innovation and brand, like the brand internally, innovation internally, but also externally for a business like ours. And Mm you know, we have strong development plans for all our people, uh, but probably we're very specific around um, very targeted coaching for our leaders. And I, that, I just can't say that enough. That You can go and do lots of different courses for all the things that you might want to build and the muscles you want to build around capability, um, whether you're a good presenter or... Um, you know, you're trying to bolster some other muscles around influencing and things like that. Uh, But really having something within your business that is accelerated coaching for an individual because it's very targeted, um, everyone's different, um, and you're just able to kind of build that capability within a leader a lot quicker. Yeah, especially for like, I know there's some very famous large companies have actually like got in-house coaches and these people who can kind of like play that role. But like when, uh, you know, whether you, you're budget constrained, whether you're just a small organization, actually just building that, that sort of coaching mindset and training your managers to be better coaches, I think is actually really important because it also helps them be able to separate our conversations from like, hey, this is about the task to this is about your development to this is about you as a human and being saying, how can I know when to have the right conversation at the right time as opposed to trying to like just be like, I'm just your manager, he's just the task and just be focused on that. Like I think when you have that kind of coaching ability, you know what conversation to have at the right time and that can be critical to someone's employee experience. A hundred percent, yes. Yep. Everyone go get go get coaching calls. <laughs> and ask you to direct reports for feedback. We're giving you lots of tasks on today's yeah. episode. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, so we've spoken about your four initiatives and like your laser focus and being very, um, you know, having a lot of intent behind them. And, you know, you've been developing your people. You have this amazing 365-day onboarding program. This has led to some great results. You currently have a 96% employee engagement rate and someone is going to be listening to going, oh, my God, what are the secrets? But I think the thing that you also want to know is I know for a fact that your goal is actually to reach 100%. 100. percent hundred. <laughs> We're going to be the and first. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's going, to be, it's going to be tricky. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so we've talked about your current employee experience. Obviously, there's 4% chance to improve. What do you think you need to reimagine when it comes to your employee experience to reach that goal? Um, I don't think we need to change much around um, our employee experience apart from probably, um, I would probably say we it's still the consistency of our sort of our four laser focus um, things that we pivot around, strategy, wellbeing, feedback and onboarding is just getting better at them. So, mm-hmm. you know, we still, we will get feedback that, um, you know, my manager's great, 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 great. Uh, then I had a bad, you know, they didn't 
live up to expectation. It's it's the consistency of our delivery um, that I think uh, we need to to just keep focusing on. Um, and as I said when we we last spoke, um, very open and honest that we had a dip. Um, you know, we started we really started sort of. Um, deciding to go on this journey at 88% engagement and uh, we've slowly moved up and we and we got to 95 and then we had a dip we went back to 93 and so that was a time to go okay what what's what's happening here um, and again we didn't actually really change our focus um, it was just we needed a laser on it and uh, we needed to keep the dory moments going and keep focused mm-hmm. uh, focused on it. Um, One thing that we are probably more focused on is um, really tightening up our brand and our organisational values to live and breathe more easily in our employee life cycle um, that might help people um, pull them along to that 100% engaged. it's tricky. Um, I might be very controversial now. <laughs> that you know, there's probably I'm not going to say which one, but one engagement question that I feel isn't really with the times anymore, um, mm-hmm. and I feel that will hold us back to get to a hundred. And that is, um, it's around careers and things like that. I think if I um, was in this space, I would be reconsidering how you measure engagement and maybe changing one of those questions um, because I don't think that it's a true reflection of what engagement is. So that's controversial. Give that to your people, people scientists. (laughs) Um, No, They they haven't changed for a long time. You know, lots of business, you know, lots of engagement surveys, they haven't changed for a long time. I just wonder if there's anyone ever, I've never looked into it. I don't know if anyone's looking at it, but um, yeah, I feel like it could have a switch up. But I, we will try our very, very best um, to to hit that. I mean, I'm terrified, you know, um, <laughs> terrified that we're at 96% and, you know, in February I'm going to do another survey and uh, um, I hope we can hold it and, um, and I'd be really pleased if we could just hold it or if we even just went up 1%, but um, we, are, we are going for the 100 well, I know you take your feedback strategy and, uh, you know, your use of culture ramp very seriously. And I, I love that you said that there's maybe some questions that you should be thinking about and changing and that like, um, you know, from a, from a template perspective, I think one thing that I, whenever I speak to customers is to encourage them to make sure that the language and the questions like serves the purpose and the strategy that you have and that you should be like making sure that you're only asking the questions that you want to be taking action on, that you're only focusing on the areas that are important to you. Um, and I know there's sort of this debate between like using questions for benchmarks versus using them for actually what matters to your employees. And I think that's a trade-off that a lot of people and cultural leaders have to make is do we want the benchmark data on this question or do we actually want to be asking something that matters more to our employee experience right now? Exactly, 100%. Benchmarks, benchmarks, whatever. <laughs> so... Um, I know that the media is always contacting you to learn about Carmen's Kitchen and that I've got your time here, but the community has been sending in some questions after our session of Culture First this year, um, as well as um, some other questions that people have sort of sent through. Um, So are you okay to do some rapid fire community questions with me? Let's do it. All right. So this first one said, you run so many initiatives for a company that has less than 100 people. 
How big is your HR team? <laughs> um, so in HR speak, there is me and a people and culture coordinator. That is it. Uh, but a lot of our initiatives are also driven through, um, which I think I talked about last time, what we call sort of our concierge. So there's a person in my team that is sort of um, a person you can go to to solve all your problems um, right down to your sewing. Um, and so th that's part of my team, although she does other things. So you could probably say two and a half. And is one of those people responsible for driving the onboarding program or is that more of a holistic company thing? Yeah, no, it's holistic. It definitely sits um, with my people and culture coordinator as a process, uh, but the actual delivery of it all requires all our leaders to be involved. Um, and um, we're trying to use technology as well to um, fill some gaps there instead of it being everything one-on-one. -on -one, um, but yeah, no, it's definitely a leader-led um, initiative. Which ties into another question that our community sent through was saying, they said that there's such a big drive to like knowing what the your team is doing and the operations to kind of reach your goals. How do you make sure that your leaders have time for everything else as opposed to just what is the task at hand? Yeah, uh, well, I'm very much of... Uh, the belief that leaders should be leading um, and their team should be doing and leaders should be solving problems, removing roadblocks and keeping their teams agile and shouldn't really be on the tools too much, maybe a couple of initiatives, but, mm -hmm. you know, that that's the role of our leaders here um, is, to, is to very much um, do that. But I think if you get your operating rhythm right, so... And oh God, I can't stress this enough. And I, I'm still so surprised how people can't sort of keep keep their operating rhythm in play. But if you have a really good operating rhythm and an operating rhythm, if that is not a familiar term to people, is um, you know how you're communicating with your business on a uh, cyclical basis, daily, weekly, monthly, half year, full mm -hmm. year. Um, if, if that's not clear and adhered to and and you're moving things and you can't do it. It's impossible. The operating rhythm sits as the foundation for you to be able to do all these things and be agile. Uh, and though that operating rhythm and all the meetings that sit within that also need to be under the microscope all the time. So we often would start a meeting with, does everyone need to be here? Do you, do you mm -hmm. really, really, really need to be here? And could someone update you? You know, turning up to meetings isn't, you, you know, you're not going to get big tick star for that. Um, but that operating rhythm and certainly our operating rhythm within our business, it does not change. We book it in a year in advance. Everything's in the diary. Nothing gets moved. Every, every one of those meetings has the purpose and that's how you're able to drive um, the initiatives but also the communication and the feedback loops and everything. <laughs> uh, that's the key. And that's something we do very well. And I can, from my own experience, know how it's worked in other organisations. It's like, oh, I'll push that out. We'll move that here. We don't need that today. You just got to no. keep that rhythm. Yeah. No, I think it's critical, especially with a, you know, you have less than 100 people with this huge global footprint. Like you can't afford to kind of do that. So, I, yeah, I uh, wasn't expecting a different answer, but I'm glad that that is exactly how you think about things. Um 
This one's a little bit more of the times question. Uh, I know you celebrate milestones a lot at Carmen's Kitchen. Uh, how do you celebrate milestones right now with remote working? Yeah. Um, so we have huddle every day and um, I've had few people say, well, how do we do that in a really big business? Well, you, you know, we do huddle with the whole business, um, but, you know, you do huddle with your team or you do huddle with a broader team or, um, you know, it's sometimes it's seven minutes, sometimes it's six minutes, sometimes it's 14 minutes, it's never more than 15. And, you know, we can celebrate every milestone every day um, and we had a big one yesterday. Can't share it with you. Don't don't want any competitors to be listening. Uh, <laughs> um, but um, you know, we're able to share those every day and celebrate those every day. And whether that's about an individual, a person, or a thank you, or it's a bigger um, milestone, we also have um, um, we have a lot, the love awards. So every quarter, we love our people and we celebrate milestones there. And we we just we're all zooming like everybody else. Um, you can make that fun and interactive. And and then we have a big bang day where we have love what you do day, which is every year, and that's where we celebrate the whole year's priority milestones. Again, intention is the I think the number one word from this episode so far. And just like that. Even if, if the setting changes, you can the intention behind what you're celebrating should still be there, which I think um, is critical. So um, this one's a really interesting question. Like you have this 365-day onboarding program. Uh, you need it to take its course and work its magic. How do you balance the, like a, the need of a manager sort of saying, I need this person to be like hitting the ground running now. Like I need them, like, like everything's critical. Like I need to ship something. And like how do you balance that between saying, for them to be successful in the long term, we need them to be on this path versus, you know, getting those small wins or, or, or getting them straight onto a project. Yeah. Look, I think it's all about front-ending the process and educating your managers on where you're going to get to in the end. So um, we – obviously, we do try and do as much before they start. So get all the the boring stuff out of the way that you kind of need to do with an employee before they even begin and also um, share with them and, and induct as much as you can around the business and who's in the business and where to go. Um but we, we really do pivot back to purpose. You know, if people don't understand their purpose or the purpose of others in the business and our strategy, then they're never going to be able to deliver. And, you know, task orientation day to day is not going to get us where we need to get to. We keep them clear of any work for the first two weeks. Not allowed to do anything. You can go to meetings, you can witness, you can, but you know, you are not on the tools for two weeks. And that's just um, how, that's just how it is. You know, you should have relationships with your managers that you can explain with, with data, um, you know, the benefits of being able to um, onboard someone. And we, every time we bring someone new in, and we've got two people at the moment who are three weeks in, they're just blown away by our onboarding process. They just can't believe it. Like they just feel so empowered. They feel that they'll be up and running really quickly. We've got a great example of someone who's at the seven month mark who is smashing it. She is just really delivering and she very openly puts it down to um, being able to take the time to onboard into the business um, and really understand what her role is. Um, and so I think if you can get some good wins under your belt, um, 
around the onboarding process that your managers can see the benefit at the end. Um, especially if you've got some already data on a manager, I'm going to assume that sometimes those managers um, may already have some feedback that they need to develop how they manage people. So, you know, it's a good coaching conversation as well um, for the manager that, you, you know, you're going to get the best out of someone if, if we give um, them the best and, and set them up for success. Well, I think that is a very poignant thing to, um, I guess, leave with our audience. I just want to share with you as we wrap up our conversation, I truly believe one of my highlights um, of this interesting, challenging year that we've all been through has been uh, learning so much about you and Carmen's Kitchen and how you think about things and why I love it so much is I think, um, you know, one of the things I'm really proud of um, from my time at Coltramp is like uh, the company allowed me to do a lot of things that don't scale early on. And that that's okay because they're important and like building the community, going out to different events, running people geek ups, having conversations with people like maybe a more traditional company or a larger company would say, no, you can't fly to all these places or do all these things or run an event for 10 people. Like it's not enough. And I'm like, well, does it matter to us? Like, is it important? Is building community important to us? If it is, then I believe this is something that maybe it is too important to try say, does it scale? And I think one of the things that, um, I think that's a very – it's a more common conversation in, in marketing worlds than it is in the people and cultural space. And one thing I've learned from you and your business is that there's a lot of things that is very important to how you run your business that, like, maybe they don't scale to 10,000 people and that's okay. This is why we do them and we're going to just sort of um, – and we're just going to do it that way. And I think it's really refreshing and I think a lot of people um, – you know, I've learned a lot from it. I really hope a lot of people have also learned that like that mindset can also be something that's true in the people and culture space. So I just want to say thank you for letting me behind the scenes. And uh, like um, I've learned so much from our conversations this year. Yeah, awesome. I've really enjoyed them and um, very thankful to be able to share and um, hope people got something out of it. But yeah, really enjoyed the conversation. I have a feeling people's notepads are going to be very full or if they were driving while listening to this episode, they might have had to pull over. Um, so, yeah. Um, so for everyone listening, like I said, there's some other resources that we'll be sharing um, from previous conversations that I, I've had. Um, so make sure you check out the episode notes. And, and Lenny, just want to say a big thank you for joining me today on the Culture First podcast. Thank you very much. A big thank you to Lainey Taylor for joining me on the Culture First podcast. I've had the pleasure of getting to know Lainey in the Carmen's Kitchen story over the past few months. And while I have many takeaways from how they think about people and culture, if I was to summarise all of those takeaways into one word, that word would be intention. There is so much intention with everything that they do when it comes to their people and culture. I believe that this is one of the core reasons why they've achieved so much with so little. When you think about a company that sells a product every second, you don't think about a company having less than 100 employees. You think about a global conglomerate. But that is what Carmen's Kitchen is doing. And I believe that in a world that is becoming louder than ever, having clarity and intention is not only critical for business success, it's critical for your employee success. I want to leave you with one of my favorite quotes from this episode. Lainey said that there's no point trying to develop someone only from nine to five. When we shift our focus to the whole person experience, it gives us the chance to have an impact on someone's entire life. Now that development or opportunity could lead to a future promotion or even a greater sense of self-worth for someone. Now, why is that important? Because this doesn't only impact that individual, 
It can also impact their family or their community and ultimately the world. Now that to me is humanity at work. This has been another episode of the Culture First podcast. If you are new here, make sure you subscribe. And if you've enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to the team here if you left us a review. I've been your host, Damon Klotz. This is the Culture First podcast. And on behalf of the entire team at Culture Amp, thank you for listening.